0: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm joined by phone by Brian Hayes, Chief Executive of Banking and Payments Federation Ireland. Last weekend the Federation announced that its member banks had facilitated 45,000 payment breaks for mortgage customers, while 14,000 breaks were either agreed or in the pipeline for SMEs. So how are banks coping with this crisis? What can customers who are in financial difficulty because of COVID-19 expect from their bank? And how are bank staff coping, working on the front line amid the pandemic, uh, Brian? You're very welcome to the show. Uh, it might be said that um, just when they thought it was safe to go back into the water after uh, a decade uh, of crisis following the the financial crash, uh, along comes COVID nineteen to whack the banks again. Just uh, maybe outline to us what impact this is having on Irish banks. Good afternoon,
1: Karen. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a big impact, not just on on the banking sector, but every other industry of the economy, effectively you know, the economy is in free fall, um, and until such such a time as we come out of lockdown, none of us will know uh, the full impact on the banking sector, the payment sector, but across the other sectors as well. I suppose banking is recognised as a key um, sector for the economy so that the economy continues to function. And um, our member banks have continued in very difficult circumstances to provide key services right the way across the economy. If you look at the massive uptake in the number of contactless payments every single day, uh, the way in which banks have reorganized themselves in in recent weeks to meet with um, private customers, uh, mortgage customers, and business customers' needs is astonishing. But we really won't know the full impact of this until we move out of the lockdown mode. And given the fact about... 40% of the economy has been put into the freezer effectively and we see about 25% of the labour market is uh, in some kind of support from the the government. There is clearly going to be a huge bill at the end of this, a huge impact on the economy. We saw the IMF figures out yesterday uh, in terms of suggesting about a 7% uh, contraction in the Irish economy this year. But it's across the world. And I suppose the difference now vis-a-vis uh, where the country was 2009, 2010, which was a banking crisis, um, is that I suppose at one level, half of all SMEs do not have debt right now, which is which is a good thing. Uh, we go in with the banks with a much stronger capital ratio position and liquidity position by comparison to where we were 10 years ago. We also, it's fair to say, I think it's, you know, unlike some other EU countries, we have a lot of expertise and knowledge at dealing with non-performing loans because that's been a a huge impact on the bank's balance sheet in the last decade or so. So, uh, you know, we go in with a different set of issues. And I think that the fundamental responsibility on this industry and other industries will be around trying to reboot the economy. We're working right now Uh, across our member banks and across our members on a strategic plan to help the country come back from this uh, and especially help businesses to reboot when uh, we come out of lockdown, uh, because we recognise that for the great majority of businesses, big and small, about 80% of all lending is still through their banks. You know, banks are, whether people like it or not, we are the, the capital intermediaries, the capital investors, the capital lenders to the real economy. And banks uh, will be very aware of our responsibility in terms of lending, providing working capital, making sure that we can cut through some of the bureaucracy for our, our business customers when they get out of lockdown and, and try to get back on, on their feet again. So we're, we're aware of our responsibilities, but the sector is in a very different position now on a liquidity basis, a uh, capital reserve position vis-a-vis where we were 10 years ago. And I think you know, the fact that we are so well capitalized today um, puts us in a good position in terms of coming back from this crisis like every other bank in Europe.
0: Yeah, we'll come back to non-performing loans perhaps uh, in a few minutes, but let's just talk through some of the numbers. Uh, The Federation at the weekend put out a release saying that 45,000 mortgage payment breaks had been agreed with customers and something like 14,000 were either agreed or in train with SMEs. Now, I'm presuming is that just the first wave I mean the, the forty five thousand of mortgage customers, for example, is five percent so that's one in twenty of mortgage account holders out there with the Irish banks is being given a payment break of three months but I'm just wondering is is that the first wave are we going to see will there be more to come i mean where where I presume the banks have done some scenario planning on this where might it ultimately land well it's it's hard to to predict
1: because um, we're very much in the hands of, of government and the public health officials as to when they decide to to get the economy working again. Um, so, you know, to your point, no one knows the full number of breaks in terms of applications. Effectively, this scheme is up and running in, in the last uh, three weeks. Um, initially, we saw a 400% spike in the number of calls and online applications coming into our member banks. That has gone, reduced a little bit in the last week to 10 days. And I think some of that was helped by the fact that the government's employment support schemes, uh, guaranteeing 70% income for a whole cohort of people, did help uh, for people to continue to make their mortgage repayments. I think for a lot of people in the economy, they want to continue to pay their mortgage. They don't want to get uh, into a position of the break because that has to be paid back over the full life of the mortgage. So I think, you know, it was really important that we were out there first as an industry across all sectors of the industry offering this to people and then that we actually managed to to make those applications real uh, for those customers. But as to how many will emerge in the future, no one really knows. I mean, there is an expectation uh, because this has happened in other EU uh, countries uh, that the potential of of a six month break may well apply Uh, We're in discussions right now with our regulator the Central Bank of Ireland and and with the industry uh, to see how that might work. Because, you know, if you don't pay for six months, that's that's a pretty large amount of money that you owe over the term of the mortgage. And, uh, you know, we've always made it clear this is not a moratorium. It's not a holiday. It's simply a payment break, as we can provide for under the existing codes and under the EBA, who've made it very clear that we can provide for this. So, uh, you know, payment discipline is important and making not just for banks, but for the whole economy. I know that point has been made consistently by the Central Bank of Ireland, uh, and we don't really know uh, how how big of an issue this could go. But there, there are real costs for the banks in this because over a three month or indeed potentially over a six month period, uh, we won't be able to obtain uh, mortgage payments from people. Uh, and
0: of course, there's there's a cost for the for the for the banks in the in the here and now. So these talks on a six month break. What stage are you at? Well, our, our discussions are ongoing with the
1: central bank, and uh, we do have the European Banking Authority, the EBA guidelines, uh, which make provision for this. Um, I think our big concern was for sound borrowers who, to no fault of their own, saw an implosion of income. It would be utterly unfair. If those sound borrowers, you know, in day 91 or the first day after the three-month break, were automatically put into a forbearance category, into a non-performing loan category, that would be utterly unfair for them um, because immediately there'd be implications for their own credit rating uh, for lenders from from that particular customer. But equally unfair to the bank because, of course, once you're down the road of a non-performing loan and under a forbearance uh, category, there are additional capital requirements for the banks. So um, we've got to work through with our regulator how this might work. And um, throughout the whole process, um, the Central Bank of Ireland have been taking a very fair, pragmatic and realistic view of what's happening for lenders and borrowers right now. And uh, we'll see the outcome of that. Um, Some people won't get through this, and that's the reality that we've got to face. And inevitably, it will lead to more non-performing loans. But we've got to make sure that we minimize that in terms of the regulatory treatment and especially try to get those people back up on their feet again, uh, if the length of time is six months. For some people it won't be. I mean, we're all hoping that the economy is going to go back uh, working again in a few weeks' time. It may well be the case that, say, construction and manufacturing go go first and a three-month break is sufficient for people. Um, but uh, we we know under the EBA guidelines that they they have set at a European level January thirtieth as the deadline for applying for the for the first break. Um, but you know, for a lot of customers, as I said earlier, they want to continue payments. They don't want to um, they don't want to to lose the discipline of the payment. And we're going to have to work with customers on a case-by-case basis, which is putting a lot of pressure on the banks to make sure uh, that we have those conversations with customers.
0: Brian none of us know how long this is going to continue the disruption that is I I accept that the restrictions will be lifted in some shape or form in in the coming weeks I would imagine at least but we're told that it could be 12 months before we have a vaccine so you have to imagine that some that a lot of restrictions are still going to be in place for a long time to come so what if we go beyond the six month uh, period how do the banks deal with that?
1: Well, that is very much uh, all up in the air right now because uh, whether you go, if you go beyond the six-month period, the question will be how do you treat that loan uh, within, your, within your loan book? Um, and that's an issue that that's, you know, we're having discussions with, with the CBI and, and other European supervisors on right now. Um, my own sense is that I think we have to make the distinction between people who will get back on their feet who can afford to pay again, who are sound borrowers, who have never had any history of having had their mortgage restructured, as against a group of people who may not get their job back and uh, for a very long, long time. And in that distinct category, that latter group of people to try to put in place uh, some potential restructuring for them, it will be an option, obviously, that we're going to have to look at in the future. You know, we've you know this, Kieran, more than anyone. The banks have had a situation of having a non-performing loan book of what, at the worst point, about 15 16%. We got it down to 11%, then 8%. Now we're just over 5%, which is go to the outer limit of the European average. And there's an ECB expectation, well, certainly before this crisis, that we get it down to 3%. So this is coming at the worst possible time, given all the progress that's been made by the Irish banking sector, and customers in, in in getting that NP's down to a uh, to a to a level, so it's inevitable that there will be um, a lot of casualties from this, and how we treat those people, and how we work through uh, their particular circumstances, is going to be a big challenge for the banks. But as I said, there's a lot of expertise now, in a way that there wasn't in the future, and we also have very significant. A section of the Irish loan book in, in credit servicing firms. They over, I think they own a, in excess of 100,000 mortgages in the country. Uh, so I think a, a key issue for the central bank was how we could, as an industry body, uh, work with the credit servicing firms, non-bank lenders, and of course our retail banks, the larger uh, banks which have the larger section of the mortgage loan book, uh, to, to try to work up an acceptable solution for people. But to your point, People will not get through this and, you know, losses will emerge uh, right the way across the sector. And that's just the
0: inevitability of of, of a recession that we're facing. Of the 45,000 payment breaks out of interest, were any of those customers already in a forbearance arrangement with the bank?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've about 780,000 mortgages in total. About 100,000 of those have already been mortgages that have been restructured. Uh, What we call an ARA, an alternative arrangement uh, system, that's being put in place. Um, They have a slightly greater due diligence to go through in terms of the uh, requirements the banks need. Uh, But some of those people have been seeking breaks as well. And as I said, you know, not everyone who's in that category at the moment will need that break for a six-month period. We we very much hope that a lot of those people will be back up on their
0: feet again in a short period of time as the economy comes out of lockdown. So what's going on for SMEs? What kind of assistance are they being offered? Well, I suppose, as we said initially, it's working capital. um, And, you know, we're conscious of the uh,
1: responsibility we have to business customers. Uh, But what what we've seen in the last number of weeks since we rolled out these breaks is that um, of the 17,000 SME breaks uh that have gone through this the system it's about two to one in terms of breaks vis-a-vis working capital requests i mean a lot of small businesses and micro businesses just don't have any cash coming in at the moment Uh, it's a cash in cash out problem that they face for some larger businesses uh, who have debt positions they've sought the break and they have received those breaks Um, And how we treat those breaks into the future will will be a live issue that we're going to have to address. Um, Obviously, for, for government, a key question will be around the kind of lending capacity into the future. We're working right now on a very substantial piece of work about how the banks can help to reboot the economy when we come out of lockdown. And we hope to be in a position in the next week or two to produce our ideas and that. I mean, a lot of those ideas are on the whole question of a credit guarantee. Uh, we know we have the SBCI scheme in place at the moment, and some lot of, a lot of good work by the Strategic Banking Corporation has gone in uh, to the banks and with the government to getting the full uh, amount of money up from about two hundred and fifty million to six hundred and fifty million in two different categories. They offer a guarantee of about eighty percent, and uh, I think. You know, we're working with the SBCI to, to make sure that we kind of reduce those uh, barriers that might exist from a firm from taking on credit. But I mean, if you look at where SMEs are in Ireland right now, I mean, they they haven't a huge amount of debt on their plate, and um, that has been an, an issue in the last number of years. The level of credit formation in Irish SMEs has not been good uh, in terms of investment capacity there have only been about 20% requests for credit last year, according uh, to the annual uh, survey by the Department of Finance in terms of the credit demand survey. So the demand has been you know, about, about 20%. 80% of SMEs haven't looked for any credit facility from their banks in the course of the last year. Now, that's inevitably going to change. So we've got to make sure that we have a good guarantee system in place. We've got to ensure that we've export credit insurance in place for businesses, our exporters. I suppose the difference this time to 10 years ago is when we were coming out of the crash 10 years ago, firstly, the euro was uh, devalued vis-a-vis sterling and the dollar, two of, our, one of our, two of our biggest export markets. We had both the uh, UK and the US economy in a much better position than now because, of course, uh, their stimulus was about a year and a half, two years ahead of the euro stimulus. So uh, our SMEs were able to deleverage. There was a reduction in terms of wage price inflation here, which gave gave us a good of advantage. So needless to say, the rest of the world is in the same position. So we, we do need to help our exporters. And I think the whole issue of insurance guarantees into the future uh, will be will be crucially important. How we help the construction center, sector. I mean, we still have, we, we've managed to get, housing output to about twenty-two, twenty-three thousand from last year, up from a very low level. We need to continue to ramp that up in a circumstance where there's still an insatiable demand for housing. So the banks are a fundamental part of the the supply line in new housing in terms of credit Mm. formation to to Irish construction firms. So we've got to work hard uh, with government and others to make sure we have the right schemes coming forward to really reboot the construction sector as well. Ten years ago, what was it, a quarter of a million, 250,000 people worked in construction. Now it's about 130,000, I think. Um, so the banks were very exposed ten years ago when it came to the level of the the bubble and the credit demand that was there in the construction sector. It's much more manageable now. And our, our loan books are in a better position and our, our liquidity is in a better position. So sure. uh, we want to help very much the rebooting of the economy and we've got to get that
0: right in terms of the regulatory treatment of of our lending. Brian, while it's admirable that the banks are making working capital and overdrafts available to companies affected by COVID-19, is there a risk that they might be lending to some companies that just don't have a trading future and they might be lending to companies who just simply won't be able to pay it back? I mean, some companies just won't recover from COVID, will they?
1: No, I think that's a fair point. And I think the the real challenge, Kieran, is, and I think the banks are doing this right now, is engaging with their business customers, asking them where they are right now. If they're in lockdown, part of that 40% of the economy, when do they think it's likely that they can reboot their own business? What kind of supports they will provide? Banks have a huge wealth of knowledge at sector specific areas, and I think if you look at some of the sectors who are really going to be challenged by this, the hospitality sector um, the hotel sector, the retail sector, you know there's a lot of expertise with 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 uh, banks who can actually help those particular sectors. I think the other thing is we 're going to need in each sector a different suite of measures. if you look at where hotels stood. 10 years ago, the level of indebtedness uh, across the hotel sector in Ireland was 7 billion. It's now 2.5 billion. If you look at restaurants lending in 2008, um, 10, 11 years ago, it was 800 million. It's now 300 million. Bars, uh, you know, key part of the hospitality industry, three and a half billion ten 10 years ago, 760 million today. So the level of, of debt within the sectors that are most affected by this is dramatically less than it was 10, 11 years ago, which is which is a good thing. And I think, you know, the, the level of sector support that we can bring sector by sector at targeting measures to each of the sectors will be crucially uh, important as well. So, you know, to your point, uh, businesses, some businesses will not get through this. Some businesses and sectors um, will be more affected than other sectors, but we're just going to have to work with our customers to see if there are a way out of this for people, and see also um, what kind of support are the government going to provide. W- one of my concerns is right now, if if you look at, the, you know, everyone's talking about the fact that state aid rules have been put to one side by the European Commission, which is a good thing. It will help countries across the eurozone system really get cash to the front line, you know, government by government, sector by sector. Uh, And and given the change in the state rules, state aid rules, the relaxation, that's a good thing. The dilemma is if our government does not provide the same level of support to to Irish SMEs, to Irish microbusiness in terms of cash injection, our businesses will be at a hugely disadvantaged position vis-a-vis other Eurozone countries. And we're going to need to keep a very close eye on this as a country to make sure that our SMEs aren't disadvantaged over other SMEs in other member states who have seen a relaxation of state aid rules. We need to keep a very close focus on this because a lot of those businesses will not want more debt. They will not want credit. They just want cash. And the government will be under, understandably, significant pressure to deliver some of that, especially to the smaller businesses. So we need to keep an eye on what other countries are doing to make sure we're not at a competitive disadvantage.
0: Brian, how are the banks themselves coping with this? I mean, um, in, in terms of the measures they're putting in place, let's say, for frontline staff uh, at branches that are still open, are any staff being furloughed? Uh, are there pay cuts? Um, what kind of costs have the banks themselves incurred because of this crisis?
1: Well, I mean, it's too early to, to give any indication of the cost, and I suppose they, they'll they all come out and, and to, to the market, ultimately, bank by bank. Uh, especially the public uh, g- g- banks uh, in terms of their, their comments to the market. But there's been a huge operational challenge for banks around this. We've seen some banks having to close, albeit for, for a temporary basis, uh, some smaller banks to, to make sure that their their footfall continues throughout the community. About 50% of staff, uh, Kieran have had to change what they do in terms of the operation. People are now working from home. People have been brought into much bigger uh, call centres and centres to process not just calls but obviously online applications or breaks and the like. Um, banks haven't been reducing pay; uh, they've recognised the extraordinary commitment of the twenty-seven thousand people who work in retail banking, uh, who themselves are worried about them, themselves, their own health, their own family's health, in a circumstance where they're dealing with customers. You, if you walk into a branch today, even with the the 50% reduction in footfall, you'll see the kind of measures that banks had to put in place, as other retail sectors had to do. Um, we have put in place very good supports for vulnerable customers, customers who are cocooning. We've put together dedicated phone lines to help uh, people over 70 especially come to terms with some of their banking needs. Um, we've had to put supports in for specific care workers. You've seen what we've done in terms of increasing the contactless payment from 30 to 50 uh, limit. Uh, We've seen also some banks reducing their fees and a massive fraud awareness campaign. So we've had to reorientate the industry, if you like, to to deal with the the, the needs of business and personal customers right now. And that's been an extraordinary challenge uh, for bank staff who've done a super job in responding to this. I've always made the point that people who work in banks are frontline. They they are systemically important industries for for the country. And I think uh, especially those people who've been working under very pressurised environments in the last number of weeks, it's been a big challenge.
0: And it will be ultimately a, a big cost to the banks long term. I guess this is going to kick out the time frame for which we uh, get our money back, uh, Brian, in terms of the bailout of the, of the banks, AIB, Permanent TSB still owe the taxpayer a lot of money, a lot of billions, and share prices have been whacked over uh, recent weeks because of this uh, global pandemic. So uh, we're going to have to wait a lot longer for that payback, aren't we? Well, I think a lot of the, the bank's success or otherwise will be inextricably
1: connected to where the economy is because the banks play an absolutely crucial role in um, you know firing up the economy are trying to protect the economy in a circumstance of non-performing loans. Um, you know, the three banks that you refer to, Permanent TSB, AIB, Bank of Ireland, have collectively repaid to the Irish taxpayer $20 billion, uh, between COCOs, the sale of uh, shares, dividends, and the cost of the guarantee. Uh, it's about $20 billion so far, and there's another $10 billion to go. Uh, obviously, it's more a challenging environment now, in a circumstance where bank shares are down. But I mean, they're down everywhere. And I suppose this comes on the tail of the uncertainty of Brexit, which in itself uh, was a challenge to the sector. But I mean, if you look back at what the IMS said yesterday, Kieran, in terms of the contraction this year and their view that the economy could come back to about 5% growth next year and beyond, you know, I think we will come back from this. Um, We have a, a strong sector. I think it's a much leaner and fitter sector. It's a sector that is very cognizant of the kind of open banking requirements, the contactless banking payment environment that we're all working in. And it's a sector that I think um, really is is at the cutting edge for some of the kind of changes that are going to occur within retail banking more generally. So, you know, we're we're prepared for this at one level because we're very well capitalised, as I said earlier. But uh, there are challenges there. We did see, of course, that... very significant reduction in profitability in the sector last year. A lot of that is down to the lower for longer interest rate environment. And I don't think that's going to change clearly over the course of the next year or two. Um, uh, But we are going to have to do, you know, more with less. And I think that's the same reality for lots of other industries right now. Uh, But I think the important thing is that we've got to be at the centre of the reboot, the centre of Ireland's comeback, the centre of credit formation. And and you know we go into this, you know, post in hopefully this post COVID environment, in in a very difficult circumstance for the country. But we go in in a much stronger position ultimately, and I think that will actually be be a benefit to the industry in the long term.
0: And Brian, there is a view that the Irish banks were a bit slow to scrap their dividend payments. This is the money they pay out to shareholders each year, and that they had to be pushed into it by the ECB. Now. It's a view held not just about Irish banks, but banks in other countries as well. But how would you how would you respond to that? I think that's unfair,
1: and I I I, I, I know a lot about this because the European Banking Federation, of which BPFI is a member, were working on this issue uh, before uh, the SSM through the ECB uh, gave any opinion. And in fairness to Mr. Enria uh, and indeed uh, Jean-Pierre Mustier, who's president of the EBF. We were working on this issue. We recognised the the dividends issue for 2019 and 2020 and the importance of taking a responsible attitude to this. So I don't think the banks were pushed into it at all. If anything, if you look at the uh, EBF comments in the Financial Times two days before the SSM-ECB decision, it was clearly uh, we were recognising this and we were in discussions with Mr. Enria on this. So um, I think... You know, in fairness to the industry at a pan-European level, they recognise the importance of 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 using potential dividends for last year that had yet to be given, our potential dividends this year, for the purposes of 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 capital, for the purposes of of using that capital for new lending, and for the purposes of trying to get the economy back into a working order again.
0: So I think those criticisms are unfair. After the crash. Brian, a lot of banks quit the Irish market, a lot of foreign banks quit the Irish market. We were reduced to just five left standing. And here we are now uh, with another major crisis. And it's obviously going to uh, impact the not just the Irish economy, but the global economy as well. Um, the IMF yesterday talking about it, the impact being uh, akin to the Great Depression uh, in the 1930s. I'm just wondering, um, and not an easy one for you to answer, I accept, but... Um, when this is over, will the five banks, in your opinion, still be standing, or will you know, will maybe one of the international banks have just folded its tent and decided it's just not worth the hassle? Uh, will all the Irish-owned banks still be standing at the end of this?
1: Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, yeah, you are right in saying, Kieran. Ten years ago, we had ten, you know, retail banking licenses. We now have five. Uh, two of those international banks, KBC uh, and Ulster Bank, through Royal Bank of Scotland. Have remained through thick and thin, and they're they're building a good business in this country, notwithstanding um, you know the challenges that they faced when when the bubble came about ten years ago. And we have uh, three other banks, Permanent TSB, AIB, and Bank of Ireland, in different conditions of state ownership, uh, given the public shareholding um, some with a minority, others with a majority. So I'm very confident that they will remain into the future all of them Uh, and also like i mean i don't think we should underestimate we now have three other ssm banks uh, in ireland city bank who've been here for over 40 years admittedly bank of america and of course barclays bank barclays and bank of america their european headquarters for their ssm bank is in dublin which is a a huge form of resilience also uh, to have those large international banks in in ireland so you know the banking and payment sector uh, despite the challenges of of a decade ago, is still in a very strong position, um, and I think is still leading in terms of what we can offer. The the, the wider financial services piece in in Ireland is also strong, um, and I think you know it's it's a form of strength for the country, particularly in employment terms, the quality of employment and what you've seen in the last number of years, whereby one in every three of the new um, FS jobs created are outside of Dublin. You know, we're going to need that footprint, that financial services footprint in terms of job viability into the future. And the banks will be absolutely central players in that. So I'm very confident about the future because we're in a different position uh, and because of the capital and liquidity ratios that I referred to earlier are, you know, um there are challenges ahead of that. there is no doubt, but I think there's a great resolve across the sector to work together on things you know in in a in a non competitive way which actually help the whole sector and help the economy, but also compete strongly with each other and have a strong competitive environment uh, in terms of new products and and new uh, projects for for businesses and personal customers and I think the lo- the more we can do that, the better. Um, those international banks have stayed in Ireland for a long time. Uh, they employ a lot of people. Uh, they brought built up a lot of expertise. And, and having that additional international groups here in Ireland is
0: of great benefit to the sector in the long run. Yeah, Brian, you had a long political career, as people will know. and You're, what, about a year or so now into the job uh, with the BPFI. Um, How has that year been? I, I suspect you didn't imagine uh, something like this would come along in your first year. I probably... Learned more about uh, banking in the last uh, three weeks than I did in the
1: last six months or so. In that, it's been a very intense period, uh, especially working with all of the banks on the payment break and making sure that the industry responded to all of the issues that that have come up publicly and privately and across all our stakeholders. So it's been a real uh, topsy turvy few time. But I've, it's fascinating at one level. I've learned a lot from it. Um, I'm working with a great bunch of people in BPFI. Really, really smart people who have a, a great understanding of the sector and a great understanding of the importance of the sector to the economy. And obviously, we're working closely with all our stakeholders in different sectors of the economy and and public stakeholders as well. All of whom are working hard to make sure we respond in a pragmatic and sensible view to this. So it's been a real roller coaster over the last uh, six or seven months or so Kieran, but especially the last three weeks. And um, you know despite all the challenges that are going to be present when the economy comes in a lockdown um, at one level it's it's a great challenge to be part of something that can make a big difference and i keep making the point to our, our own team and bpfi you know um the banks can make a big big difference to ordinary people's lives in terms of mortgages and working capital and support systems that we can put in place It it really matters And not that that we have those systems in place that help people through this period of time. But also, um, it's important that we have a competitive, um, economically sustainable, economically viable industry that competes to the highest international standards. And certainly my work with the European Banking Federation and other colleagues in uh, other banking associations, I've learned a huge amount. Um, the, The issues don't change from public policy, really, to the private sector. The issues are the issues. But as a very small open economy that's very, you know, vulnerable to 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 world trends that that exist positively and, and, and negatively, um, I suppose my time in politics has taught me about the necessity to act quickly, to act in a decisive way and and not wait forever uh, for decisions. That's not that's not the right approach for an industry or indeed for the public sector. We've got to do things in the here and now and try to make a difference.
0: Sure. Uh, we might just finish with politics, actually, because Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have agreed what can only be described as an historic policy document for a coalition government, something that um, you might never have envisaged uh, in your time in poli- politics. And a lot of people, um, a lot of political watchers here probably never thought would happen. But uh, after the, the last election results, uh, which seems a, a lifetime ago now at this stage, um, this is what has shaken out. It looks as if Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are going to go into government together. They say it's going to be a full and equal partnership. As a as a former Blue Shirt yourself, as a man who served in government with Fianna Gael, and you served as a TD and you served as a, an MEP as well, what's what's your view? How are you feeling about this? Well, uh, I
1: suppose my feeling is that I think the country needs a stable government with a majority. Um, looking back in the last number of years, with the confidence supply arrangement that existed, a lot of issues weren't dealt with because the government of the day didn't have a majority. And and whatever about our political system in Ireland, there, there's one thing that I think is the case, that whatever government is in power, from the left to the right, wherever, it does need a majority to get its programme through the Oireachtas. So um, if there is to be a coalition government between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil plus others, I very much hope it'll have a majority and uh, for that to happen I presume it needs another party or parties plus independents who will sign up to a five-year programme because there will be very difficult issues to be decided in the first year, 18 months given the recession that's happening and is going to be a reality in the next uh, 12 months or so. Um, So I think that's important. I mean, both of those parties that you refer to are are pragmatic uh, centre-ground parties uh, who understand the Irish economy, who have been both central to the success of the Irish economy uh, over the course of the last 15 years or so, and presumably everyone wants to get back to an economy which has low rates of unemployment and, and potential for, um, for, for incomes to rise. That is something that I think we all need and something that I think both of those parties and others would want to achieve. So, I mean, I haven't seen what they're suggesting. I understand it's a platform uh, to entice other parties and work with other parties, and we'll have to just wait and see. But I I very much hope we have a government soon. I think it's really important. I think the government has done a a fantastic job in the last number of weeks, you know, from the Taoiseach to Simon Harris to Minister Donoghue to the whole, you know, Minister Joe McHugh. Uh, Heather Humphreys, they've done a very, very good job in a very, very challenging s- circumstance. Now that now the kind of goodwill that's there to the government, uh, you know, won't last forever because as we get to the rebooting stage, big decisions will have to be taken. So the bigger the majority, I think, is important. I know when I was in government, we were in government with the Irish Labour Party. We had a massive majority we lost people along the way in terms of some of the hard decisions that had to be taken. So you do need a kind of national government with a big majority that's prepared to take on hard decisions and prepared to do the right thing for the country Um, because we still need a lot of capital investment, as I said earlier on housing and health, but also especially in in pensions. We 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 need to deal with that issue. And I hope, I mean, if this new government comes to pass, I wish it every success. And uh, I hope... uh, the banks and the payment sector in Ireland can can play their part in helping the success of that government too.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the smaller parties seem to be running away from this idea of coalition with and Fine and Finnegale Gael at the minute, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. Some difficult conversations for Leo Varadkar, uh, no doubt, in the weeks ahead uh, when he tells people that they're going to uh, lose their ministerial positions as well. Just wondering, you know, whenever the next election is in four or five years' time, let's say, how does Fine Gael and Fianna Fail? How do they differentiate themselves from each other to the to the public? Um, and does this not just open the ground for Sinn Féin next time round? All I would say to people is that I
1: mean, when I was in the the European Parliament and working also in the European Council, um, you know, I saw governments of many different parties, frequently similar enough parties, parties of the centre left, centre right. Uh, big parties working together and then at the next election those parties go and fight their own platform and fight on the basis of their record. If the government is successful over the next five years, and I hope it's a government that we get for a five-year period, it then goes uh, to the people and seeks a mandate, either individually or collectively, and fights on the basis of its record. And um, I suppose the record will be decided on housing, on health, on, in- on income support and on on taxation um, but we, like, we shouldn't realise, this isn't unusual. In ev- virtually every other European Union country, you have similar parties, uh, big-ish parties, working together in a, in a coalition government, and then they fight the next election separately, or collectively, as the case may be. Um, you know, We have a normal European democracy. We have a, a splintering of the vote, yeah, in recent years, where the two big parties were once at 70 or 80%, now are collectively on, what, 40, 40-something percent. So, I mean, you know, nothing stays the same in politics, and That's the point I want to make. Nothing stays the same. And there's a terrible arrogance that people think that the next election results will be any indication of what's happened in the last number of weeks or months. And there, you know, people who think that, you know, it doesn't happen that way. Things move on very quickly in politics. And if the government, a uh, new government, can sort out the people's concerns, and can demonstrably show that things have improved over a five-year period. Uh, You know, a week is a long time in politics, as they say. Five years is an absolute eternity. So people trying to predict now what's going to happen politically in five years' time it's a, an exercise in futility as far as I'm concerned.
0: Okay, well, we'll see how that plays out in the weeks ahead. Um, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My uh, thanks to Brian Hayes from the Banking Federation. Declan Collin produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business units straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care, stay safe and stay home